0: Which I don't see happening. Um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three piece towel set and save over forty percent off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a Headgum podcast. Hello, hello. This is Recap the Nation of Fake the Nation bonus, where we take some of your favorite pop cultural films and TV shows and we recap the shit out of them. Today, we are diving into or maybe more joyfully. And because it's summer, we are belly flopping right into The Bear season two, episode one and two. Don't worry, regular episodes of Fake the Nation will appear on this very feed on Thursdays, as they always do. But for today and for the next four weeks, we'll be digging into the meat sandwich Mishigas, that is The Bear on FX and Hulu joining me today oh my god first of all uh you know her you love her she's a comedian that you've seen on the late show with Stephen Colbert not to mention one gajillion other venues throughout this great nation where she consistently wows audiences she's co-host of the podcast where you raised by wolves which you should be immediately subscribing to and if you're not following her on TikTok I don't know what you're doing Um, (laughs) she
1: is my very good friend and I love her so much she is the one and only Leah Bonham oh my goodness better than therapy I feel so good! Thank you for having me again. <laughs> <laughs> um, also joining us now, what she doesn't
0: know is that I already am a fan and a subscriber to her <laughs> podcast. It's called TV I Say with Ashley Ray. Um, so before she was suggested by one of our other Fake the Nation friends, Dan Pashman, and I was like, "Wait a second! Why didn't I already think of her?" Because I'm already <laughs> a fan of this great woman. Um, you should. She's a stand-up comic. Um, like I said, TV I say. Um what a fantastic podcast. She's the one and only Ashley Ray. Hi, I'm so glad to be here with both of you. I'm a fan of both of you. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh my god. Guys, we're really making it happen today. Um, so exciting. I um so this is what we're gonna do is first. We're just going to quickly remind audiences that if they want to support the show, they can go to patreon.com slash Farsad. What? A little plug just for that stuff. Uh, patreon.com slash Farsad. To support the show but before we get into like the details of what happens in episodes one and two we're going to kind of go through summaries and questions of, of, of plot lines um before we get into all of that um uh, i i wanted to mention that you know season two had a lot to live up to right it was highly anticipated because the first season of the bear um came out of nowhere and really charmed everyone so now that you've seen the first two episodes has it lived up to itself?
2: I think the second season is stronger than the first. Um oh, I think uh, I think okay. maybe for a lot of people, the first season charmed them. And I think for a lot of people like me who are from Chicago, who grew up in this amazing little state, uh, we had a lot of irritations. There were some amazing performances and the first season, let us all down in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I think watching it, I, all, every episode, all I could do was count everything that they got wrong about Chicago, uh, in this (laughs) second season, I'm not bothered by that as much. So it's a lot stronger.
0: Okay. Leah, what was your, so we've got a better than first season shots fired. Um, (laughs) where, where does your position?
1: Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, I thought right away we're like, Which one of these storylines am I going to have the most anxiety about? Um, They're just laying it out, boom, boom, boom. Who am I going to worry about the most? Um, And so I felt like right away I was already emotionally invested and going to stay up all night uh, worrying about these characters. So (laughs) I thought they just knocked that out of the park right from the get. Amazing.
0: Um, Well, let's get into it with some summary and some questions along the way. The season premiere um, of the of season two is called Beef, although I'd like to make the argument that it should have been called Burf, um, because yeah. that was what was on <laughs> Richie's T-shirt. And I thought that was hilarious. Um, the, now, the very first scene of the show has Marcus, the chef de pastry by his mother in a hospital. She seems to be I don't know. She's in a coma. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there, if they cleared that up. I also want to point out that I watched these episodes with my parents, I'm in San Diego. If it sounds like I'm in the West Coast, it's be- that's because I am, and <laughs> the audio quality is just different here. Um, and so she was asking a lot of questions. Uh-huh. There's a lot of overlapping dialogue. There, this was a disaster of of a viewing experience. I tried to like do as much rewatching as I could, um, but uh, so there is like an Iranian mom glaze over <laughs> over today's um, recap. But so she's in a coma and it was immediately clear from this uh, from this scene that the show was not going to let us off the hook emotionally. Right. Like we were going to have to deal with people's travails, whether we like it or not. But the main action, as it is usually the case, is in the kitchen. But this time, the sign of the beef is coming down the building. Everyone in the kitchen is talking about how what the many fucking things that need repairs. There is a Bruce Hornsby song that is just playing and it plays. For a very long time, which was an interesting and unusual and kind of like 80s style choice. <laughs> um, and they, they're they talking about the many repairs that the place needs. And they throw up, they come up with a vague number of $95,000 written on like a pizza box. Uh, let's talk about what follows, which is a scene with Cousin Richie. He asks Carmi about purpose and he asks about how his friends from childhood all have purpose, but he has no real purpose, no real skills. And what is even the point of him?
1: Um, I don't know, Uh, Leah, what did you make of this scene? I felt like we were headed for Richie to have an existential crisis, sort of he's lost his best friend, the place that has been his where he roots himself, and he get you know goes every day is now completely changing. Um, his role is changing, so I felt like we just jumped straight into the crisis by being like, "What is my purpose?" Which I often wake up in the middle of the night uh, <laughs> screaming. So I'm glad that we can. <laughs> I was like, I have some also books that could recommend. Say,
0: <laughs> me, me and Leah's signature move when we have a bad gig is to text each other or call each other about how bad the gig was <laughs> and <laughs> what is even the point of stand-up comedy why why, <laughs> why? yeah so
2: why do like, we do this why <laughs> do, we <laughs> do we do it
0: <laughs> why do we do this and so i feel like the conversation where carmy's like oh i don't have time for this and he's like all right i have yeah. time for this it's like okay because we all like, ask okay. ourselves what the <sighs> fuck are we doing with this these miserable life choices ashley what did you make of this scene
2: i i loved it i I thought in the first season, Richie, he's really there to be the comedic relief, you know, like it is the bear is a comedy, even though you might not know that. Uh, (laughs) And I think (laughs) in the second season, we're finally seeing him put those walls down. He's not using humor as a defense anymore. And this is the first scene where it's like, oh, we're dealing with a new Richie who realizes like, oh, wait, I do need to change. Like, I'm not right about everything. Like, I am confused about my purpose. And I've dated so many men who work in Chicago restaurants and very accurate, very, <laughs> oh, very lost men. So I loved seeing this and see, you know, because I would have assumed like Car- uh, Carmi going to have to push him on it and be like, hey, man, get yourself together. But seeing him come to that realization and finally realized, like, we have to move on. I have to, like, come to terms with the past and find a new way forward. It, that's what really made me excited for his character this season.
0: Yeah, it feels like, oh, we're going to... I mean, you know, he had he had some arc arciness in the last season. You know, we yeah. learned he had a daughter. Um, we learned... I um, think <laughs> he had that great line where he's talking to his daughter over the phone or something, and he says, Daddy, sorry, too. And it was something like... And sometimes... And, and, and sometimes, you know, he just needs a little break from Taylor Swift or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, so he's definitely the comedic relief that has stuff going on on his own end. Um, but it, it is very much couched in his in these, like, ridiculous lines that he delivers. Um, and I think it is difficult because everyone seems so pumped about this next chapter of the restaurant, right? Yeah. Like, everyone is in it, Um And he's like kind of going along with the thing. He's doesn't probably give two shits about fine dining. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so it is, it is a weird, weird place for him. And it's kind of hard for someone like that to kind of find their way. And we'll get into like Tina and Ibra and these other characters and how they find their way into this transition. But it is really interesting to see him. Now, another moment that happens is that in an effort to lean against the wall, Sydney puts her hand through a hole in the wall that's being covered by a poster. And it's obviously clear that there are problems and expenses are mounting. Natalie, the sister who, also, who they call Sugar, um, joins the crew as project manager when a wildly irritating alarm goes off and what becomes immediately clear is, oh my God, they really need money. Uh, which is when we cut to Uncle Jimmy. Love me some <laughs> Uncle Jimmy played by Oliver Platt. Yes. So what do you, Ashley, what do you think about going back to Uncle Jimmy for money and the predicament that they've now that they're not putting themselves in by doing this?
2: I, it makes a lot of sense. And I love the stakes that it adds because, you know, I know we can't trust that Uncle J. I know he <laughs> is plotting on their failure. He just wants to sell the lot. He's been losing money in this. So, it, it you know, I think is so much better than the worry of like, oh, do they go to a bank and get something with a high interest loan? I love that there's going to be some sort of element. It, it just feels very like mafia yeah. and shady of like we know he's going to come back demanding that money earlier something's gonna happen so i love that they and also love oliver Platt. so i was just happy they found a way to keep him in this season but i talk
0: to me about the shape like uh, oliver platt types in the chicago scene yeah (laughs) i mean uh (laughs) clearly jimmy types
2: the Uncle Jimmy types in Chicago, it's very clear they have some like sketchy mafia connections, you know, not to stereotype Italians here, but like in Chicago, it is very always like, oh, I got a guy who can cover that. I got, I know somebody in the city who can cover that. And I believe. In the first season, he's a main reason why they're, like, paying off the city to, like, get their good uh, health grade scores, uh, which is not a thing we have in Chicago, actually. But anyway. Uh, oh, is it
0: not? <laughs> it is not. We do not have health grades. Aggressive. Do, we, do you have them in, in, New York. in California?
2: I feel like we do. I feel like maybe? we do, I,
0: but I honestly I haven't yeah. looked.
2: In, in Chicago, York, it's just a pass-fail. Yeah. In New York, they're very
0: prominent, very known. But
2: yeah, yeah. in Chicago, it's just pass, fail. And Mm. then they put it in the newspaper when a place fails and nobody really cares. So
0: (laughs) that was like one of
2: the things that was kind of hard to understand watching the first season. I was like, is that a bad grade? I don't know. I feel like I'd go to a (laughs) B restaurant here. Uh, (laughs) But he clearly has that connection with the city. And now that they're in this place where they have to, you know, uh, one of the things Sugar was doing was going through like, we can't get this license until this is paid off and we can't get this from the city until this. And I know that uncle, he's going to mess something up with it. I know he's going to be like, I don't care about your dream. I'm, you know, working with the city to screw you over. I just have, I'm very suspect.
0: Leah, like where was your stressometer when uncle Jimmy showed up and they started being like 18 months, you know, they're going to give themselves 18
1: months to to
0: win or fail.
1: Well, I also thought it was with the alarm going off through the conversation, I was already (laughs) elevated uh, because, like, those kind of noises are the kind of noises that make me want to fight people. So I was already, like... And then when he was like, let's do 18 months, I was like, there's our next one. You know what I mean? I was already worried about Marcus's mom. And now we're on this 18 (laughs) month. I was like,
2: and that's too late. That's too late. You know, they need the money. They got open now. (laughs) They got to
1: do it. And now we're on a clock. So I was like, I agree 100%. I was like, now I'm they upped at that level that I was like, perfect. Now I can just sweat profusely. (laughs) Through the rest of the season. Can I also, so you brought up a
0: really good point, Leah, about the way the stress was induced in this scene, which was the alarm, right? And there, and two of them are wearing um, what what are those earplugs? Earplugs, Uh, earplugs, yeah. (laughs) And and Carmi's not wearing earplugs because he's just sort of like a chaos. Sponge, you know, mm-hmm. he fucking yeah, loves it. Yeah, he's just like, he I'm he used to it. Business. I don't know. It doesn't yeah.
2: bother me. He's like, I not hear it. Is... Yeah.
0: Right, right. He doesn't, he doesn't, be... this is like Joel McHale screaming in his ear and it's like normal to him, right? Is that car, is that yeah. alarm sound? And one of the things that I think is really interesting from a filming perspective, <laughs> because if listeners will recall, I happen to be a randomly a filmmaker. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that they didn't look, they're not cooking in the kitchen. They are fucking destroying the kitchen and rebuilding it. It's a completely different beast from season one in terms of the chaos that we're seeing. And they didn't rely on the same camera work. Cause in the, in the season one, it's a lot of like whips and cuts and handheld da, 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 so that we can get that feeling of chaos. that comes from a kitchen. It was brilliantly done. But in this, episode we're in a different piece they're rebuilding a kitchen so there was a lot more sound design right with in the sound design i feel like is what gave us the stress as opposed to the camera work giving us the stress and i thought that was really interesting move on their part and also a great way of embracing new forms of inducing stress in the <laughs> <Yeah>. audience <laughs> you know really innovating the form um you know and they so there was a lot like you know there was a lot of like things falling and the you know even like sydney's hand punching through the wall all of those sounds that kind of created this really unsteady unstable environment i thought that was really beautifully done um and the uh, the other funny thing about that is the sound of the car alarm is juxtaposing with their sort of, um, you know, TED talk style pitch of what the future of the restaurant will be in their yeah. very close shots. And they're like on a tripod, very still. And they're like, and this is what we expect from our, you know, quarterly returns or whatever the fuck they were saying. Um And they're kind of going through this hilarious proposal that feels ridiculous because obviously uncle Jimmy is a shysta. And what does he even care about the stuff, the type of stuff that they're saying? Um, and then it's juxtaposing with this car alarm or whatever, what, was that alarm it's an alarm in the wall
2: uh it was an alarm in the crawl space upstairs where they had hid the paint and he was telling richie to get the paint from up there that was like their big idea because they realized they had a bunch of paint and then it had turned out that uh the brother who died like rigged it with an alarm system for some reason
0: fantastic right okay (laughs) um again the kind of detail that my mom asking questions i then lost that detail um (laughs) So by the end of the episode, they disband and immediately realize that six months is too long um, and they basically have to open in half the time. Um, And I thought that was really nice. Like everybody goes to their separate locations. Carmi's like looking at his phone, you know, an hour later they're back at the restaurant basically working through the night. Um, And that is how we ended uh, episode one, which I thought was just a really great, sort of way to set up the stakes, set up the pain, um, set set everything up. And then we move into episode two. Now let's um, actually for a second here between episode one and two, talk about the music. Uh, we're getting a lot uh, of heavy yeah. underscoring here, way more than we did last season. They're yes. also leaning heavily on sort of like 80s, 90s tune. Um, there like I mentioned the show goes on, the Bruce Hornsby uh song that played at the beginning of episode one. In the, in episode two, there was a real, real delightful jam that brought me back to my youth. It was uh the fine young cannibals song. She drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what did what do you think about these? Uh, these these needle drops
2: I love the music this season I mean I I will say I hated the music first season I did <laughs> I thought it was one of the worst soundtracks in a TV show uh, It was desperately Desperately trying to sound like Chicago But like just missing the mark in a way that was very stereotypical. Like they think everyone here loves Wilco and Sufjan Stevens and like Sufjan Stevens is not even from Chicago and the song. Chicago is not about Chicago, but they used it for like this big needle drop in the first season. And it just made me roll my eyes. And this season I actually feel like they're capturing Chicago music and the sound of the city. Like you go through river North downtown, you are going to hear old men blaring classic rock. We love our classic rock stations here. It just felt so much more authentic, original. It sounded like the music I would, you know, hear my dad playing when we drive around the city in the car. So I am really loving it. I feel like they're paying so much more attention to detail.
1: Well, I I've only I don't have a lot of Chicago history knowledge, so I feel like it's great to know that these songs are more Chicago based. Um, So I I did love the music. I didn't think about it past that. To be totally honest, I feel like I could say something, but it would be inauthentic. I was like, "This right. music no, sounds no, great that's right completely here." Fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just interesting because it does feel like dip,
0: uh, separate separated apart. they were, separate and apart from the the stuff from season one that was also a little more like early two thousands ish or something. Like it, it also felt like a di- different era. I feel like the music here sort of also captures you know. know. know like I've been talking about the camera work there's a lot more like dutch angles slow pushes there's some weird wipes between scenes instead of like the more common cut that we're used to so they're like doing it like an I you know I'm not specifically clear on what the reference is but it feels just it's kind of like I don't know, like movies, I'm just I, I'm pulling this out of my ass. I'm not sure if this is accurate, but it feels like Working Girl or whatever. like Some of these like iconic 80s movies that um, that are people working, you know what I mean? Yeah. And where we see these kind of pushes and stuff like that, that we don't, you know, you just don't typically see that kind of stuff like anymore. So I love seeing these like different things. Now, um, one of the things that happens in this episode is Sydney breaks it to Tina and Ibra that they're going to go to culinary school. Tina is super Oof. into it. Now yeah. let's first talk about Tina and Sydney for a second, because in the, in the last episode, she also asked Tina if she would be her sous chef and Tina was overjoyed. And now she gets to go to culinary school. Um,
1: what are you guys, you know, Leah, what do you think of Tina uh, in this, in this episode? Well, I think we discussed before we talked about season one, my emotional uh, obsession with Tina watching her change and yeah. so as soon as they stepped outside and sydney started like you could tell what the proposal was going to be yeah i like my eyes started filling <laughs> um and i was sitting on the couch next yeah. to and i threw my hand up i was like my face is sweating but i was like and uh, you know and then as soon as tina's face broke out into that smile and I oh. just, it was so beautiful. And, and that spontaneous yeah. hug. The, oh, hug. the hug. And then when they stayed on like her picking face. picking Sydney up. Yeah. yeah. And when Sydney went back in, she just, you just watched her, glo- oh, you know what I mean? It was just so, I thought that was just such a beautiful, beautiful moment. And such from the arc of the first season of her sort of pride in her work and then now she feels recognized and I just thought it was so great
2: yeah same
1: and then now she gets to go to culinary school I
0: mean what what do you you know Ashley what do you think of this culinary school twist
2: I'm really excited to see it because I think they've brought the character in this new direction you know she's telling Sydney I love learning this stuff I want to be here I want to be someone that you know this place can rely on And for me, a big question with her character season one was she's been working at this restaurant for so long. She clearly has a passion for like what she does in her recipes. But like, what is that? Is it a love of cooking? Is it just like I got this job and now I'm here and I've been here and I don't want anything messed up. And now we're seeing like, no, she does have a joy and a passion for cooking, too. It just hasn't been recognized. And finally, someone like Sydney sees her. And I just like all that first season, I just was like, come on, you two, like get some women of color solidarity. Like, come, like, you know, there aren't.
0: Figure it out, guys. Figure it
2: out. And, you know, they were in such opposition to each other where originally, you know, she was saying, you know, Jeff instead of Chef to be like sarcastic. And then it became kind of just like a term of endearment and fun nickname. And I love that they've just like embraced that about her instead of, you know, trying to like be like get this right do this do this and they're like okay we get it like you want to learn we have to be willing to like teach you give these these resources so sydney offering that opportunity to her i was like finally she's like being seen as like a whole person rather than just another person who like works in the kitchen and is sort of like unknown
0: you know the other thing i'd love i mean first of all i love tina i think this this her arc is the best. It's the American dream. It's growth embodied. It's work ethic. It's professionalism with heart. Like it's all of those things that just really, really makes you root for her. And I fucking want her to yeah. win at life. Like I just want that so much for Tina. Um, and uh, and it's, it's funny because it, it also feels like you know, I don't know what her background is, but it's like she seems like maybe she's like first generation or whatever, like her parents were immigrants or something like that, you know. Um, and so I, I see like I see this a lot, like in the Iranian community of like, what is it to be this person? You know, also, she's not the youngest uh Tool in the tool shed. That's not a thing people (laughs) say, but she isn't the youngest tool in the tool shed. Um, She's she's a little, you know, this is like a midlife change. And how exciting is it for people to be able to get a new start? at that age like and in that particular socioeconomic level you know so that's one thing i love the other thing i love is that the show didn't make a big fucking song and dance about how they're keeping all of the employees like yeah. the in an in a regular show there would have been a scene like guys it doesn't make sense for us to keep these guys they don't have the skill you know, we can hire new people to know what they're doing or whatever. We got to fire these guys. And then, then a heroic protagonist would have been like, that's not what I believe in. I'm loyal or whatever. They would have been some cheesy <laughs> fucking scene with like chattel loyalty and all that shit. And they just bypassed all. We don't need all of that. Like, they're good. They're good people. You know what I mean? And who can occasionally deal with like uh, mafia people. It's fine. But they're general. <laughs> There's some mild drug dealing that happens, not a big deal. They're good though. You know? yeah.
2: and I mean, frankly, the staff they had at the at the beef, made no sense for the type of restaurant it was there is no Italian beef stand in Chicago that makes their own bakery desserts that makes their own but that's not a thing Uh, so why was Marcus there now they're turning into a restaurant where these people will actually uh, have jobs that are at this kind of restaurant so (laughs) really they were set up for success in that way
0: (laughs) right right now Leah Ibra was reticent about culinary school
1: and i'm can you just like do you have any theories about what's going on there well this is the storyline that i've decided is going to make me the most nervous <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> yes when he like when his pants fell on the floor on the floor i was like yes. no, oh, and then they pull back and there was like vegetables on the floor oh, and the man. whole thing where you didn't want to wear the uniform i i just feel like He's like the opposite. He's—they're giving us the other side from Tino, where I feel like he's questioning his own abilities, you know. And I—I want to say I was like yelling. I was like, "You know how to do this." And I think it's because in this—it's in this formalized. Am I yelling? I'm so sorry. This, I just feel so emotional about it. This formalized atmosphere where all of a sudden he's like um, feeling insecure, and mm-hmm. but you're like, you know, you got this. It's just this sort of. School atmosphere where I think it's and he's um I'm hoping he it is like I can do this, and it's not like a thing where he gives up because he's who I feel most emotionally invested in. That's where I'm really gonna have a breakdown if it doesn't work out for him. Um, but I <laughs> yeah. for me I was watching and I felt like it was insecurity. First, it seemed like he was like, I don't want to have to do this, blah blah blah. And then you're like, oh no, this feels like a real insecurity. Um, and he's questioning all of his skills because it wasn't set up in this school way, but you're like, no, you've been doing this forever. You're going to be great at this. It's OK. You know, and if they if they give us a scene where we fucking
0: meet his family, I will lose my mind because I can't. I do feel too emotional about him already. You know what I mean, like if you throw in like a wife or a child or a whoever, yeah. and a, you know, a brother or something like I don't know. I don't know if I can handle it. Yeah. Um,
2: I mean, for me, I guess I feel he is one of the best representations of sort of like this male Chicago spirit that exists here where when you meet like an older Chicago man they don't they believe there's no better place in the world it's very much like why would I ever Mm. leave Chicago why would I ever change my my schedule and like what I do here and what I love here my favorite places my favorite restaurants they've been the same for 50 years you know and I felt like it's that kind of resistance in a way where I think he recognizes this restaurant is becoming something new. Um, You know, at the end of the day, this is a show about an Italian beef stand that gets gentrified. And so part of me kind of real thought felt like he's realizing like, this is a new era. And and I think he's realizing he doesn't want to be a part of it. Like he's learning these skills. And to me, it was like, not so much an insecurity like not mm. wanting to wear the chef uniform isn't like an insecurity but it's like a i'm happy with how i dress and how i do things in the kitchen and now you're trying to teach, like teach teach me all these skills And it's like, why? I'd just rather go work at another Italian beef stand. That's what I'm about. So I'm curious to see how they play it off. And if he does, you know, stand by that in a sort of just Chicago man can be so stubborn. (laughs) Like if if it's just this stubbornness (laughs) and a, you know, digging in of like him truly believing, you know, we're losing something by losing the beef. And is he the one character that's going to like try to maintain that? Or if he does come around like Tina and is like, you know, I do want to be a part of this new era and this, you know, what a lot of people here will say is a new Chicago. There is there is an old Chicago and a new Chicago. And I mean, my family that lives here, they opt out on that new Chicago. You ask them if they've been to Alinea, they will go, what is that? I don't care. If I want good food, I will just go to J&J's on, you know, on 55th. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I am really curious to see where they go with that.
1: I didn't think it was the uniform was insecurity. It's when they panned back and all those vegetables were on the floor. And I was like, yeah. oh, he's fucking up. Um, that's when I was like, oh, no, maybe he feels bad about himself. And that's when I really got sad. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get to more questions, let's just take a quick break to hear from our
0: sponsors. And we'll be back. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you guys subscribe to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that's tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. (laughs) About Sydney, Michelin stars, and Sydney's mom's birthday. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So, we've set Sydney up as like, you know, someone who now really wants Michelin stars. She wants at least one star out of this venture. And, you know, Carmi thinks that are bullshit or whatever. But of course, he had three stars in New York. So, it's like he's, he's been there. Um, and he tells her if you really want to do it, you have to think about that more than anything. And, um, and then we, there's a scene, you know, they're, they're working on their chaos menu, which is apparently like a real thing in, in the restaurant world. Um, and then we, we see Sydney and her dad, um, have their, um, their mom's birthday, apparently uh, a thing that they do. So her mom's, uh, she, her mom has passed away. Um, and it, and it sounds like her mom passed away when she was quite, young.
1: In her 20s, because yeah. she said I'm older than I'm she older was. I'm older than
0: she was, right. Yeah. Um, what did you, what do you think of what's going on with Sydney? Leah, What where is Sydney for you right now?
1: Um, Just really quick, when they were doing that, when they were making the menu and she had to, he was like, wait, she turned on the stove and he had to pull uh-huh. out the denim jeans. I thought that was just <laughs> such a nice, like we see I their didn't relationship. I not understand that. I <laughs> I was I
2: did not get that I just, I was like why would Carmy put his pants? In? I just I feel like he's more the type to like just fold his jeans and put them in a corner of his room on the floor. He's using like, them have as the money. Of
1: jeans. He's using. Remember, he used them oh, as money in the first episode. Right.
0: He sells oh. them on eBay or
1: no, he sells them to
0: like uh, some shady
1: people or whatever. So that's where he keeps his like folded back. That's his like savings, which is let me say very Italian after my grandfather died we found everything in the stove downstairs so <laughs> uh, okay. I was like great I'm glad nobody turned that on uh,
0: uh, well the funny thing is I was also thought it was like an homage to I mean it was not an homage but like in my ridiculous mind I was like oh is that an homage to sex in the city because Carrie kept a lot of her shoes and yeah, and she was like the I the don't use the stove. stove
2: so why would I de- but I was just like Carmi seems like the type who doesn't have a bed frame doesn't have a dresser and he just would have a Pile of like folded jeans in a corner. I've slept with many a Chicago man who (laughs) who lives that way. So I was like, why? Okay. I
1: don't think those are his wearing jeans. Those are his selling selling, selling jeans.
2: Selling jeans when I guess Carmi had money to buy designer jeans that would be worth money to sell. I need to stop asking questions about Well, (laughs) like when he was like a
0: three Michelin star (laughs) chef, he certainly had some money to buy. True. Yeah. True.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: So, Leah, you were going to say about uh, Sydney. And um, the mom and all of that. Um,
1: I don't think I realized until that scene that her mother had passed on. I don't know. Okay. I I was like, did I miss it earlier? I think
2: I, there's a moment before that where Carmi asks, you know, what was your mom like? And she just kind of smiles and is like, "Uh and that to me hinted at like, oh, something's up with the mom. Either they're like, you know, distant or she died. Right. Uh, And, you know, because she talks so much about her dad and then it's just kind of like, hmm. So. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I thought she was estranged
1: mom. at that point. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, she's tossed on.
2: And that scene with Sydney and uh her father, Robert Townsend, that was probably one of my favorite moments in that episode. Really I just lovely. the two of them together were so great. It just was the depth that I wanted from Sydney. I think in the first season, there's a brief moment where we see her at her dad's house. Like she gets off the train and just kind of walks in. And this season, actually seeing him as like a fully realized character and not just like, you know, a burden for her. I loved that. I loved the like joy that they had together until he's like, wait a second, your whole plan is not something I support.
0: Yeah, because he's like, you will have a job for a month and then not a job. I not mean, a job. Does he, <laughs> you know, he other- otherwise seems like an angel. I mean, and even in this situation, like he's doing what truly any parent should do, which is like. Can we talk about like the order of operations here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes sense that he's like not thrilled about what's going on. Yeah. I
1: mean But then I feel like he did like the parent job, like, hey, here's this other opportunity. Where's your money coming from? But then they went to the mom and he said, you know, a a nice thing about how they were the similar. And then, so I felt like he went back to a positive thing, which felt a little bit like movement on his part to being like, okay, I see what you're doing. I've told you what my issues are with it, but here, you know, here's our relationship, which is more important.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I also think he is truly
2: worried about Sydney's past experience. Like he does bring that up. It's not just like, you know, Oh, this is a silly job to ever have. Why would you do this? It is, you know, how do you know this is going to happen like last time where you end up getting screwed, where, you know, you are working with people who take advantage of you. So I do feel like it's it was just such a good dad moment of, like, concern, you're wasting your time, and just deep love.
0: Yeah, I thought it was... Re- uh, yeah, I thought it was beautifully handled. I also... I, I thought you know, cause I feel like, again, as a comedian, uh, my parents have also had those kinds of conversations with me where I'm like, mm-hmm. no, but like, the thing is, I'm not going to earn money for several years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then one day, like I will, you know, and it's like, go on this like leap of faith with me. And it's a really hard pill to swallow, but then ultimately they, they swallowed it Sydney's dad is swallowing it. You know what I mean? He's going to do it, but it sucks. And it also just raises the stakes for all of us. We need for the three-month opening to happen. Um, We need for the 18 months to be successful. Like all of these things, like we know Uncle Jimmy is hovering in the corner. We know like Sydney needs a real career. Otherwise she's stuck like doing air traffic uh, motions um, for Boeing. So it's like the whole thing really amps up the stakes here. And another thing that happens and we're, we're going to have to close on this is that Carmi runs into a girl. Yes.
1: <laughs> I was like, here it is. is the other one. Yep, Here's another the- <laughs> yeah. there another thread. I mean, I was like
0: girls. Like I, it, it, season one was so devoid of Carmi having anything for anyone at all that it felt insane for the first beat you know <laughs> um what did you what did you think of the running into a girl i, I-
2: I mean I mean, I want to see obviously Jeremy Allen White is incredibly hot and I would like to see him in as many situations as possible where he gets to be hot have his shirt off so if that's where this mm-hmm. leads I'm all about it uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know and I did like that It op- it gave us an insight into this life he had before all of this mess where you know we don't get a lot of details but it's clear that you know she's like well you were the bear and I remember and it's like okay they maybe he, he hasn't always been the most stressful person in the world. <laughs> maybe there was a time right. he enjoyed relaxation and she is the key to it.
0: Yeah, like maybe there was a time he engaged in sort of childlike wonder yeah. and, and musing about his future, you know, and in a way that was like delightful and not riddled with baggage, right? Yeah, um, and constant Leah,
2: anxiety attacks. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. Leah, where was this meet cute on your um, pantheon of meat cutes. Well, I
1: loved as soon as we saw the look exchange, we were like, okay, here it is. And um, I also am so glad that she's a doctor. I feel like um, that way they're both going to have equally as stressful schedules, which I think is a good relationship. (laughs) You know what I mean? You got to have somebody who also has their own thing going on and is very busy. So um, I was very happy about the occupation choice. For our uh, love interest, and I agree one hundred percent. As many opportunities, obviously, I he's a whole person. I appreciate his personality, but as many opportunities to see this man be hot, uh, I'm all about it. <laughs> all about it, like yeah. yes.
0: And it was it was nice to see him play romantically vulnerable. You know, yeah. he's gotten to play. You know, g- brother of a, a you know, deceased man vulnerable. we've got we've gotten him, we've gotten to see him play um, owner of a restaurant who doesn't specifically know what he's getting into vulnerable. like he he's played vul- different shades of vulnerable but but vo- romantically vulnerable. Is a delightful shade for him. Enjoyed seeing that so much. Also,
1: we, we actually blush. Like, did you see that? Yeah. Like he, he had a little blush
2: and like the whole just like, oh, where do I send your million dollars? Oh, someone at MO would like think that's suspicious, right? Oh, I was like, God. okay, Carmi can flirt. Like, okay. When he's just like, you don't remember the name. You do there's no way you remember. And I was like, that's exactly how I flirt. I'm like, there's no way you remember that.
0: So oh. cute. It was so cute. And also, like, we got a chance to really like get a close up on those uh on those uh, blue baby blues eyes. baby oh, blues, baby blues. <sighs> come on and by and not to this is this isn't all about him because they had chemistry I mean, the, the actor playing the ER doctor um, she was incredible and had that you know and and the thing that I love about the bear is they do this a lot where they like tell a story about the past and the story is supposed to be like evocative of like a million things. Right. And she talks about, Oh, do you remember when we were at Rosedale or whatever? And fucking this one kid broke their arm and everyone was scared. It puts you, first of all, it builds the world up for her. Like this is why she became a doctor, but it also builds the world out for Carmi. Carmi was a fucking person. You know what I mean? He was like an, yeah. actual, he was a kid. He was on monkey bars and shit like that. So, um, it kind of gives you the sense like do you guys we didn't talk to you he hasn't been able to like have a girlfriend because he's been a star chef for like the last 15 years but there was a time when he liked girls and like that was a part of his life or whatever and here's one of those girls and here's a story of the past and they really do this a lot like even even the story at the in the in the diner with the birthday um, the mom's birthday you know they tell a long I mean, it was like over a two minute monologue I mean that is unusual for television to have a monologue that long he tells a full story about changing a tire but that does so much for us it does so much for us in also establishing the longing Sydney must have to know a woman she'll never know. You know? Yeah. And so I feel like that kind of um, storytelling that they do in the show is so like powerful and it really like um, it really gets the eyes watering, you know?
1: (laughs) Um, Folks, any last things you want to say about episodes one and two and how they launched this season? I did want to add um, that moment between Sydney and Carmi when she asked what it felt like to uh, get when you got the phone call. Yes. And then he said, I went right to what well, the, the word wasn't panic. It was like fear. I wrote it down because it was like the most stand up comic thing ever, <laughs> where he did couldn't sit for a single second in being like, Oh, this is great. He went right to how am I got to keep this going. I'm going to yeah. fail at this. And I and then she caught it right away. And I just I related to that moment so hard. I was like, oh, I, you know, I felt like it's so summed up what it's like to live in that kind of personality. And I feel like as a stand-up comic, one relates to that so hard because you're just like, how is this not going to work out? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not just like, it's like, it's not just like that personality. It's like the person, right? It's the personality
0: type. And it's so weird how many connections we're seeing between stand-up comics and chefs. But I think it's absolutely (laughs) right that like, it's like this, you're doing something insane and then you get good news and the job is so insane that you can't think about, you can't celebrate the good news at all. You just are yeah. just worried about how Run to keep the it next going thing. because the the thing is you have to generate all the time. And it's so difficult to like fucking produce and produce and produce at that level that, you know, good news is just bad news. <laughs> 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 Final thoughts, Ashley? I, you know, I think this
2: second season absolutely stronger. It is so, so, so hard to beat the sophomore slump and come back with just stronger character dynamics, stronger character study and just arcs. Everything is just hitting so much more. I love the music more, like I said. And I think I, I was blessed to be in Chicago when the show came out. Uh, I, you know like I said from here family here I think mostly all of us said thank God they stopped trying to get our city right and just focused <laughs> on the characters that's what's making it a better second season y- y- you're not from here Chris sorry you're not going to get it right your four years at Northwestern don't mean anything to us uh, but it's <laughs> 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 they they've put that aside. They're not trying to be a Chicago show anymore. It is a show about amazing characters that happens to be in Chicago, and I can love and embrace that.
0: Well, I love that. Folks, I um this was such a fantastic. Thank you so much for being here to, to launch these recaps with me. This was so fun. I feel like I could talk about this show with you guys forever and ever. Um, I would love for the people of Fake Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things you do. Ashley Ray, where do they do that?
2: At the Ashley Ray on all platforms. Listen to TV I say, new episodes everyone. Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: And Leah Bonima, where do they do that? I'm at Leah Bonima on all the socials, which I've just uh, joined uh, because I was like, what are you doing? Get on there, Leah. So get, I'm there. If you want to come join me and listen to Where You Raised by Wolves every Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and folks, you know where to find me and all of the things that I do. I just want
0: to thank everyone who makes the show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Our fantastic theme music was my God altar. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum who makes the show a possibility. Um, and if you have any thoughts or ideas about this or anything, you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. And we will be back in your earballs. On Thursday That was a Headgum Podcast.